Next up, Paul Darcy, CMO at Miro. Miro is taking a stand for a new way of working. They believe the way people work together needs to change to become more collaborative, inclusive, and creative. Paul, tell me about Miro. So Miro is, for most people, it starts as a whiteboard. It's a platform for visual collaboration, and people come together to meet and work in a different way, to co-create, and it's used for all sorts of things. It's used for just meetings, brainstorms, getting ideas out of a group, being able to do ideation for processes like agile or product development or wireframing. So it's a very broad product used by more than 20 million people today. And can you give me some overview of like what is the competitive landscape like for you? So when you look at the way people collaborate, in particular in the workplace, what people use Miro for is to bring people together, to be able to simultaneously draw out their best ideas, to create new processes or develop new products. And what we find is that we compete most directly against the old way of doing things. The productivity tools that have existed for close to 40 years, it's people creating a presentation and a PowerPoint, now maybe co-creating in that same document or in spreadsheets or elsewhere. So it's really the old way of collaborating. It's sitting down and having a hierarchical, less inclusive meeting as opposed to being altogether interactive in a mirror board. And so is that your central point of view as a company, that the world has changed and so should collaboration? I think right now our central point of view as a company is that the world of collaboration has looked really similar for a while. And then it received a jolt around the world last year with the move to remote work. And remote work, I think, created a very particular paradigm of collaboration, which was one person, one box, but all of us living in different boxes, whether that is a Zoom box or a PowerPoint box or whatever it might be. And Miro really emerged during this period as another way of collaborating, this infinite canvas where people can come together visually to co-create, to communicate ideas, and to invent the way they want their businesses to look in the future. We're at now an interesting moment where we're returning to work and the way we used to work is no longer that relevant. And I think the next year or two is going to be another period of invention of how we collaborate together. And we think Miro can play a really important role in that, but that period needs to be more equal, more collaborative, more distributed in terms of where ideas come from and the way people collaborate to do great things together. And so that's the moment that we see ourselves in now. How much are you attaching the companies and narrative to like the new remote distributed work narrative? Yeah. I mean, the company was founded 10 years ago for distributed work in a lot of ways. Andre, our founder, ran a design firm. And the key problem that he saw was that it was really hard to collaborate remotely with his clients. And that was the genesis of the business. But over the last year, it's been an incredible transformation because the context has changed. And we see that context changing again over the next couple of years. In SaaS space, feature-based differentiation usually doesn't last long because they can and will copy you eventually. So 
right now, when you think about how Miro competes, how much is it competing on being objectively better versus competing on story and brand? What is it like now and what do you foresee for the future? Yeah. So a couple of thoughts on that. I think the first point is that we're at a point of evolution in this space where the feature-based differentiation is important. We are unique in that our product, it's faster, it scales for more collaborative users, which is really important for enterprises in particular that need to have bigger meetings. Most of the products in our space don't. We have enterprise user management and security and other things which are really critical to the organizations we serve. We have about 100 integrations and 500 templates. And so there is a lot of differentiation that is important at this point in category development. But I think what you're saying is really true and that a lot of our users aren't aware of that differentiation. It doesn't matter. A key part of our model is product-led growth. People hear about Miro or someone they're working with invites them to join a Miro board and the experience of using that product becomes really important. Brand for us is an important part of that. The company went through a change in name from real-time board to Miro and a lot of work in beginning to shape a really special brand in the space. And that's a big part of how people think of us and evaluate us, that is much more emotionally based and less rationally based. And that's certainly part of our strategy is to be able to connect with people more deeply than a list of features and capabilities. Yeah. So tell me more, how do brand and positioning and messaging and all those things work together at Miro? Yeah. Well, so we think of ourselves as a product-led growth company. We are obsessed with creating a product that our users love. We have a net promoter score of about 60, which is exceptionally high for a B2B product. And we've been really intentional about building a product that people love. We've also been really intentional about making it really easy to start using for free and to do most of the things you can do on the product for free and to make it really easy to share the product with others. We'd love for people to come in, to start doing things that are impactful for them and to be able to share with an unlimited set of collaborators and to do that all without having to pay us any money. And that's a key part of driving our growth. And so most people, the experience of the product is doesn't start with the story or the message. It starts with experience the product and simultaneously experiencing the brand. And usually they're brought in to collaborate with people that they know and trust. The story for us often comes later. It comes as we're talking to people who may be non-users in an organization as users expand in larger enterprises. And that's when we tend to bring that narrative in. But for most users, it starts just with a blank canvas or someone else's work and that becomes the beginning of the experience. So as a user, when you get, let's say, exposed to the sphere of influence, really you're thinking about jobs to get done. And so you sign up, you build something, and then the story is part of your, let's say, sales motion. The story is part of the sales motion. That's right. It comes a lot later. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our focus is on enterprises. And so the way it starts is one team starts using the product to have better meetings, to brainstorm ideas on their group, or to use one of our templates to do something specific, a design sprint or wireframing or creating a new process for their organization. And they draw more and more people in. And before you know it, there's hundreds or a thousand users in an organization. And then we begin typically 
essentially a more formal process with that organization of becoming a core platform for the way that they work. And that's where often the storytelling comes in. Where does it live internally, the storytelling? How are you organizing it? And how do you make sure that all these different teams that you have in place, that they're aligned and tell the same story? Product marketing is the heart of everything that we do. We have five teams in marketing, but product marketing is about half of our marketing team. And we've integrated into product marketing content teams that do user content and thought leadership. Our templates that users use are created out of product marketing. Our copy team, which is part of our brand studio, sits in product marketing. And so we use product marketing as the, first of all, that source of truth, but also the content creators for a lot of our organization, social media, PR today, both sit in product marketing as well. So that's one of the ways that we do it just functionally, trying to not have too many silos of messaging that sit elsewhere and having a really strong product marketing function that is based in user research and user understanding and then creates messaging, positioning and communications that come from that. And how is it working with sales then that if sales is the main vehicle for telling the story, how is that set up? Yeah. Well, sales is one of the windows for telling the story, but we do broad communications with our users. We have community. That's an important part of the way we connect and communicate with users and clients. And all of those become channels for messaging. Sales for sure is one of those. The sales materials and resources and content mostly come from that product marketing team. Got it. Tell me more about the community. So what is it? Is your community really product-based community here? We are all Miro users, or is it a community centered around an idea? Yeah. So community, it's a few things to us. I mean, first of all, prior to COVID, we had really strong user groups and we look forward to getting back to those. So we've seen a lot of interest for people to come together around the product and the work that they want to do with the product. A whiteboard and a blank canvas is probably one of the most intimidating things. If you look back at the great artists, they all have some of their fear of that blank canvas. And I think the same thing is true for our space. And so community becomes really important because the best work of our users is built on the shoulders of other users. A great example of this is Miroverse. And so we have deeply integrated into our site, community developed and submitted templates. And those templates become a great starting point. So TED, the company behind TED Talks, has a full template for design sprints that they created. Salesforce created a template with their planning process. Atlassian has templates that they've created and submitted. And hundreds of users have created their own and inside organizations there's the templates that they use and share across and so that actually is one of the most powerful community starting points for our users is someone creating something that they're proud of and sharing it with everyone and then any user can come in and lead a meeting or a workshop or a process using that community submitted template. But community has a lot of things to us. It's the ecosystem of developers that have integrations on our product. It's all of the consultants and experts and service providers that have created content or methods that sit on top of Miro. And it's users who come together to share their work, to provide input, to ask questions of us or the community on how to accomplish what they want to accomplish using Miro. How has the story and telling the story evolved over the years when your company was founded now? And maybe how are you thinking about evolving the story down the line? 
Yeah. So I joined the company last year. And so I haven't watched the full decade of evolution of the story, but we're in a moment of change right now. I would say that one of the most interesting things about the story for us is that we learn much more from our users than our users probably learn from us today. When I joined nine months ago, we had 7 million users. Today, we have 20 million users. In our marketing team and with our product marketing team, a lot of our work of the last couple of months has been to really deeply understand who those users are, what they're doing with the platform, and how we can best serve them and best help Help them. The story in a lot of ways, of course, there's a narrative of why we're relevant and the moment we're in in time, but a lot of the story for us becomes really personal to individual users. It's how do we help you accomplish what you're hoping to do, whether you're a user experience researcher or someone doing sales operations or a marketer creating lifecycle programs. It's how do we speak to the specific needs that you have and help you give a path to do the great work that you want to accomplish collaboratively with others on your team using Miro as a platform. And so that's where a lot of our work is right now. Got it. Besides sales, you mentioned there's some other channels where you're telling your story. And besides the community, is that also like your social, your content marketing, anywhere else where you are telling this? Yeah. So first of all, that, as you've mentioned, like sales for us is a very end of a process. Most of our users are free users or they're ones who use one of our paid plans, self-serve, and they don't have any interaction with sales. Sales tends to come in at the end of the process and is focused on working with users in larger enterprises to help fit into their corporate environment. But most of what we're doing is direct communications with the people we serve with those users. And there's a lot of channels for that. And that includes our community, that includes lifecycle communications. A lot of the story is one moment at a time. And our goal is to help people on that journey with Miro. And a lot of that happens very quickly. Our first thing is when a user comes onto the platform is we want to help get them to do something that they're proud of on the platform. And then the next part of that journey is to share that with other people and then to help them do other things. And so a lot of our messaging and communications is bringing people along that journey so that they're successful in their job and the way they collaborate with others in their organization. Got it. Tell me how you guys think about balancing direct response, copy and messaging that is very like product and feature specific with brand messaging and selling people on the emotional value. Yeah. So when we think about direct response, first of all, we tend to think about a narrow set of people. There's today somewhere, there's maybe a billion knowledge workers in the world. There's 1.2 billion users, I believe, of Microsoft Office globally. And today there's 20 million people that use Miro. So it's a small portion of that. When we think about direct response, we think about highly targeted programs that are probably speaking today to the next 20 to 50 million users. And it's people who are ready to try the product, have a particular problem to solve, may have already heard of us. When we think about brand building, we're really speaking to that next billion plus 
people. Brand building is emotional priming to make people more likely to self-adopt. We very rarely buy things that we don't know. And so the job of brand building is to communicate with a really large audience so that people know about us, they think about us. And the communications job is relatively simple. When we think about brand building, what we're trying to do is communicate some very basic things. What is this thing? It's a whiteboard. What is it called? Miro. When should you use it? when you're collaborating with other people. What does it look like? And to do that in a way that helps people think of us at the moment that they have a problem, and that may happen a month from now, a year from now, or a couple of years from now, but it's how we speak to that billion plus people who aren't users and aren't the near-term users that we're targeting with direct response. And is that happening mainly through pay channels or... Yeah. So today we're just beginning that work. So, I mean, direct response happens mostly through paid channels for sure. And then brand building today happens through a bunch of other channels. It happens today through us having embedded boards that are recognizable and that are visible way beyond our user base. It happens when people see other work that started in Miro, maybe published, they may be non-users. It happens with a distinctive, consistent identity that appears in in a lot of places and becomes recognizably. And then over time, it'll happen increasingly through the use of media to make that more visible and more apparent to more people in the world. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, coming on, Paul. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for including me, Pat.